0: of our six-part series on the book of Esther entitled Your Big Moment. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this sermon teaching uh, for the past six weeks. Um, It's one of the longest series we've done in a while. So if you've liked it, you've been in heaven. And if you haven't, we're at the end, right? So uh, it's going to get better next week. So we are actually starting a new series next week entitled Toxic. And where we're talking about toxic relationships... Uh, toxic religion and toxic words, and we're going to have a great fun time starting that next week, that three-part series. But today, we are finishing this book of Esther, Your Big Moment, and uh, I want to talk about one of the things we're going to be talking about today is it's going to be really deep, uh, in fact, for some of you, the issue that we're going to be talking about today may be the reason why you have decided not to become a Christian, and um, because you're on the like the front side of like Jesus, the Bible, church, and salvation, you're like, I just don't understand how this works, and uh, even if you're a Christian, we're going to be talking about something today that's probably going to leave you scratching your head a little bit, because it's some of those deep thoughts with Pastor Edmondson. So, um, and it's going to be one of those things where it's you're going to you're going to be walking out of here, and it's going to like, did that just happen? I don't know. So, I'm just letting you know, uh, we're in for a journey today as we wrap up the Book of Esther. We're going to tie a big bow on it, and it's going to be fun. And uh, before we get to the sermon, let's talk about where we've been because this is your first time with us. <laughs> we've got a lot of ground to catch up. And uh, the Book of Esther is one of those books that um, God never seems to show up. Uh, There is no, in fact, of the 66 books we have in the Bible, this one book is the only book in the Bible that never ever mentions God. No one prays in the book of Esther. Um, no one. There's no uh, miracles that happen in the book of Esther. And it's one of those things that is, you're like, why should it even be in the Bible? I don't even quite understand it. Uh, because God never seems to show up. But one of the things uh, that we've looked at, our big idea for the entire series, is that even though God seems absent, he's actually present. And we've really seen that over the past five weeks of the book of Esther. So, um, here are the five characters that we've been looking at in the book of Esther. The first one, the top left, his name is Xerxes, King Xerxes. And King Xerxes, he is the king of Persia. Persia is the most powerful country in that day. 483 BC is kind of where we're looking at, where we're landing. And some of you, you remember King Xerxes in that name from the movie 300, or if you play Assassin's Creed, uh, he's in there. But this guy was an actual historical person that the Bible speaks about. Now, King Xerxes, the most powerful man on the planet, Persia, which is modern-day Iran now, him and his wife, Queen Vashti, she's on the right, they have a marital spat. How many of y'all, if you're married, have ever had a marital spat? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, that tells me that you're not married or you're a really bad liar. All right. So um, they had a marital spat and King Xerxes says, you know what, I'm going to get rid of the queen. And that's exactly what he does. And then he gets lonely. He realized that was a bad decision. So he decides, I'm going to have a beauty pageant and I'm going to find the most prettiest girl and I am going to put a ring on it. Right? So that is where Esther comes into play. Esther, uh, she is not Persian. She is Jewish. And her cousin Mordecai on the bottom left, um, they could have went back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, but they chose to stay in Persia. Um, And Esther actually wins the beauty contest, and she becomes the, the next queen. Now, here's the wrinkle in time here. The wrinkle is she doesn't tell anybody that she's really Jewish everybody thinks he's Persian so Esther has not even told the king her husband Right, so um, uh, Esther uh, is kind of kind of living kind of a dubious life. Mordecai, um, he's also Jewish. He has this long-standing feud between the guy in the middle. His name is Haman. Haman's Persian. He's the prime minister, and Haman is all about R E S P E C T, and he's not getting it from Mordecai. In fact, he is so angry with Mordecai we saw last week that he decides that he is going to not only kill Mordecai but kill all of Mordecai's people the Jews. So he goes, since he's the VP, basically, the prime minister, he goes to Xerxes, and he convinces Xerxes, hey, let's sign a law, and we're going to kill all the Jews. And Xerxes says, sounds like a good plan. And Xerxes doesn't know that he signed the death warrant for his wife. So Mordecai, he goes to Esther, and Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to do something about this. You've got to let people know who you are. You've got to let people know that you are a Jew. And you know what Esther does? Esther goes, uh-uh. I mean, do you realize that I I got it good in the castle? I got it good in this kingdom. I'm getting manicures and pedicures daily, right? And I just, I'm too comfortable. I don't want to do it. And Mordecai says, listen, you got to, you got to. And finally, Esther, even though she didn't really want to do it, she says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine. And last week, we looked at how Esther revealed her true identity that she was Jewish to Xerxes and Haman. And Xerxes said, Haman, that's enough, you're evil, and Haman dies. And we looked last week, the big idea was that a life devoted to self will ultimately leave you alone. All right. Now, that's where we've landed in this book of Esther. Uh, that's kind of where we've been over the past ten chapters. And you, you might be scratching here going, okay, Esther, she's not that great and Mordecai doesn't seem to pray he's not that good and Xerxes eh, and and Haman definitely eh, right where is god in all of this what is the point of this in fact some of you that's kind of where you're at now where is god and where we're going to be talking about today because if you think about it all of the all of the stories all of these people in the book of Esther i mean Esther is not a role model that we want to train our young girls to be like right i mean how many of y'all say, hey, here's what you need to do, honey. I want you to go and have sex before you're married and go have sex with somebody who has nothing to do with you and then kind of hide who you really are. We don't, we don't teach that in one church student ministry. Just give you a heads up. Some of you are going, good thing, right? I mean, we don't teach, hey, you need to be like Mordecai and you need to kind of be ashamed of God and you don't ever really need to talk to God or seek God or pray to God. We don't say, nobody in this story... would we ever say, you should be like? And yet, as we see, nobody's seeking God. Nobody really cares even what God thinks, but God still intervenes. God still intervenes and he saves the day and he rescues the Jews. Why is that? Why is that? And that question we're going to be wrestling with, that tension, is really, it's it's about the sovereignty of God. And I just threw out a, a big churchy word and let me explain that that God is sovereign. Another way of saying that is that God is in control. And the question is... Okay, if God is in control and he's going to do what he wants to do, what is the relationship between what I do and what you do and what God does? I mean, that's kind of kind of like a confusing issue. It really doesn't matter what I do that God's kind of going to do what he wants to do. And it doesn't it matter what I do with my life because God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, he's in control. Then what's the, what difference and where do, where do I play in that? And if you've ever wrestled with that question, that's where we're going to be landing today. And I'll be honest with you, theologians have been wrestling with that question for over 2,000 years. And today at OneChurch.tv, March 8, 2015, excuse me, we're going to answer that question. And then I'm going to drop the mic and I'm going to get off here. Because this whole idea is God is in control and do, I, do my, what choices do I make and how does that influence God, all of that stuff. All right. So where is God with all of these kind of shades of gray characters? Because Esther, she's kind uh, of, uh, I mean, where, where is God in all this? Esther 9-1. So on March the 7th, everybody say March 7th. March the 7th, the two decrees, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews, Esther 9-1, had hoped to overpower them. But quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. So there is this law that was put into effect. And again, the Jews actually come out on top. And what's arguably, it's not because Mordecai was crazy faithful or Esther uh, was this person who was very faithful. It just kind of happened. God just kind of moved. Esther 9-2, so the Jews gathered in the cities throughout all of the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And we see this again and again. If you read the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus, you see this, that the Jews, God's people, aren't particularly observant of God. They're they're not very faithful. But God uses, I mean, God makes other people afraid of them. and, And God, like, keeps them winning, keeps the Jews winning. It's like, Why? Why would you do that, God? And some of you, you're kind of that way about the church. Some of you, you're here today and you can't believe that you're watching online or you're actually here live, and you're like, I'm at church. I mean, the church, I mean, you know enough about church history to realize that church history has a really checkered past. And you read stuff about the Dark Ages and and the Crusades and how people were killed because of the church. And your big question is, God, if you were really good, if you were really kind, if you were really patient, why are you using those people? Why are you using the church? I mean, they haven't, haven't they done enough harm already? But yet God still says, I'm going to use the church. In fact, he says this in Matthew 16, I'm going to use the church and not even all the powers of hell are going to come up against it. So why does God use the church? And some of that, that bothers you. And it bothers us about Esther. Why is God using Esther and Mordecai? Because they're just not that faithful. Verses 2 and 3. But no one can make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. All, and all of the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews in fear of who? Mordecai. Now remember, Mordecai is just a normal dude. He's a foreigner. He's a Jewish person living in Persia. And you know what he does? He just hangs out at the city gates right? And I mean, that's all he does. But here's what you got to realize in that culture. The city gates, that was kind of like the downtown area. That was the hustle and bustle of it. And as he's hanging out at the city gates, he's overheard some things. He's, he's uh, overheard assassination plots to kill King Xerxes, and he took that to Xerxes, and Xerxes didn't die. And he was supposed to get promoted, but Haman gets it promoted instead. Verse 4 For Mordecai had been promoted to the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout the entire provinces as he became more and more powerful. So the Jews aren't exterminated, the Jews are actually elevated. And because of this, this happened, this happening, how the Jews were saved in Persia. Do you know the Jews celebrate a festival today? In fact, this festival. In the Jewish culture day, it's called Purim or Purim if you're Hebrew. And by the way, do you know what day they celebrate that? March the 7th. By the way, what is today? Do you know that this weekend, millions of Jews all over the world have been talking about Esther? Did you know that? And today, we just happen to be finishing our series on Esther. It's like I planned this. And I really didn't. I kid you not. I, I mean, I was just like, uh, we have a, a nice Hebrew lady named Noga who loves Jesus. And she she came to me like a month ago. She says, do you know when we end this, it's going to be Purim? And I'm like, do tell. Really? I planned it, right? And she's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't, right? So... But it's this Jewish holiday. In fact, let me read it, verse 19. So to this day, rural Jews living in remote villages celebrate an annual festival and holiday on the appointed day, by the way, that was yesterday, in the late winter when they rejoice and they send gifts of food to each other. Doesn't that sound like a good holiday? Sending gifts of food. And Esther is one of those heroes of Jewish culture that they look up to. But yet, we as Christians, we don't know what to do with Esther. Because she's she's not very pure, she, she makes decisions that are vague and unclear, and, and she's just kind of messed up. And you know, it's kind of comforting that God is there in all of her messes, but it's also kind of confusing because, and here's why it's confusing, God, does God use people who don't obey him? Yes or no? Yes. Does God use people who don't seek him? Yes. Then ask the question, why on earth am I going to seek God in the first place? Why on earth am I going to surrender my life to God? Why would I ever do that? If God's going to use me, whether he wants to or not, why even do that? And what we're struggling with is the issue of sovereignty, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And and do I play any role in any of this? Because here's the confusing thing about Christianity. Every other world religion says this, that you earn God's favor. And a lot of people think that's how Christianity is, that you've got to be good to get it, that if you want to go to heaven, that only good people go to heaven. And you may have grown up that way, that you got to go to church so many times, and you got to say so many Hail Marys, and you got to do this, and then if you're good, 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 and if you're good outweighs your bad, then you're okay. But let me tell you, Christianity doesn't teach that. In fact, Christianity teaches the exact opposite. That we can ever, we can never be that good. We can't. We can never earn God's favor. That God's favor is given freely as a gift through Jesus Christ to everyone. That what he did 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross, when you received Jesus as Savior, that you are saved and it is a gift. You can't earn it. But you're asked, okay, then what's my role in it, Chris? I mean, if, if I get saved, then, then I then I have to be good, right? I mean, i got to be good to keep it, right? I mean, no, you don't. Because if good works, if doing good things didn't get you saved, then being good is not going to keep you from losing it. And some of you, your biggest struggle right now, you're going, okay, Chris, okay, you're saying that I can get saved and I can live however I want to and it's not going to affect my eternity. And you know what my answer is? That is exactly correct. So some of you are like going, this is, I love this church, right? Because now I can go out on Friday nights with no guilt. And I can go out on Saturday nights and I can do whatever I want to. Why would I ever bother being good? Why would I ever, I mean, I can just go, I mean, spring break's coming. In fact, I think it's here this weekend, right? I mean, I can do that. So the question we're wrestling with, is God sovereign or are we responsible for our own actions? Do you want to know the answer to that question? Yes. Thanks for coming to One Church. God is sovereign. God is in control. And yes, you're responsible for your own actions. And you know where we discover this principle from the book of Esther. Cuz and I know it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but here's our big idea today. Bad decisions change your story, not God's story. Can you say that with me? Bad decisions change your story, not God's story. You see, your bad decisions, if you make bad decisions, your bad decisions, they're going to change your story and my story. But there's a story that God is writing that is unstoppable. In fact, did y'all hear that song we sang earlier, Unstoppable God? That's God, people. God has a plan and you will not thwart it. And you will not stop it and you can choose to make bad decisions you can choose to go out and party and do whatever you want to but know this that your bad decisions they're not going to change god's story but your story will be affected now let me explain it this way we had some snow some ice this past week and how many of y'all when you see snow and ice you drive a little differently you, you drive a little slower. You're a little more careful. Let me see your hands. All right, some of you. Some of you are like, I gun it. All right. I think I drove behind a couple people like that. Well, let me tell you. When it was all snowy and icy, you see, you have a choice to make. You can either choose to drive a little bit different, a little bit more careful, and you put your seatbelt on, and you don't speed 78 miles an hour going down the interstate, but you go a little bit slower, right? You can do that. And you're probably going to get to where you're going to get to probably okay. But, you know, there's another decision that you can make. You know, did you know that you can say, you know what, God's got this. And you know what, I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. In fact, I'm not going to go 78 miles an hour on an icy road. I am going to go 108 miles an hour, and God's got me. Well, you know what, you can do that. And God's going to get you. Because you're going to be with Jesus. Right? Right? That's just foolish. And and that's what we're talking about today. That bad decision, that's going to change your story. But God's story is not going to be affected. That's where we're at. And I think I'm responsible for my own actions. And I think that God is completely in control. And every once in a while we get ourselves into situations and we literally were saved by the grace of God because we've made some stupid decision and God delivers us. But I think for the most part, bad decisions, when I make them, are going to change my story. But they're not going to affect God's story. Tim Keller, he has this quote, and it's a little bit difficult to understand, but I'm going to break it down. It says this, God's power, God's power is not irresistible in the short run, but it is inexhaustible. In the long run. Now, let me talk about that. God's power is not irresistible in the short run. What he's saying is this that you can sit here today in church or watching online and you can go ahead and resist God's power. You can. You can do it. He's not going to open up the earth and he's not going to swallow you with an earthquake. He's probably not going to zap you with lightning today. He's not even going to intervene immediately or directly in a way that you can see that your bad decisions are going to affect you, maybe. He might let you mock him. He might let you laugh at him or spurn him and run away and continue to do that. I mean, you can do that. You can resist that. But you know what? God's, it's inexistible in the long run. That means you can resist God today, but his plan and his purpose is unstoppable. And I think that's exactly what we see in the story of Esther. I mean, it's like God's like, nobody's really seeking me. Nobody's praying for me. And Esther... God's like telling Esther, "Eh, i give you kind of a B minus. I mean, you kind of did the right thing at the end, but it took you a long time to get there. And and Mordecai, I kind of give you a C plus because you're not talking to me, you're not praying to me, you're kind of embarrassed to me. And Haman, you get a big fat F. You do. I mean, you just fail. And God's like, you guys resisted me, but this is my story. And my story is going somewhere. And I've decided that even though you may do whatever you want to, I decided a long time ago, back in Genesis 12, that I took a person by the name of Abraham and Sarah and I made a promise to them. And my promise was that I was going to take you and I was going to multiply your descendants and you were going to become a nation. And that's exactly what happened because God keeps his promises. And they became the Jews or the Hebrews. And God says, even though you may not look for me, you may not pray for me, you not even, may not even be that faithful. I am going to be faithful to you because this isn't about your story, it's about my story. this isn't about your character it's about my character and that's exactly what we see in the book of Esther they don't seek God they they make these really fuzzy decisions but God saves them anyway because it's his story and his character and remember, these were Jews in Persia who could have went back home but they chose not to and I don't know the reason why maybe they didn't want to pay the temple tax because they were rebuilding the temple and you know, I'm just kind of a little too comfortable here and I mean, I'm not that religious anyway and let's don't all become Jesus freaks and, and again, The idea, this idea, is so interesting that God's bigger story, in fact, we see this in the most popular verse in Esther, that when Mordecai confronts Esther, and and Mordecai says, you've got to do something, and Esther says, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing nothing. And then Mordecai responds back this way. Look at uh, Esther 4.13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Do not think for a moment that because you're in the palace, You're in the palace. That's her story. That's her comfort. You will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, look at this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. What he's saying is, you know what? Your bad decision is not going to affect you. It's going to affect you, but it's not going to affect God's because God has a plan. He has a story but you and your relatives will die. But who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Esther, you can keep quiet. You can be all comfortable. You can go get your manis and petties down at at, at the Persian nail spa. You could totally do that. And you can keep quiet. You will know that will be a bad decision for you. And that will affect you, but it will not affect God's bigger story because God's people, the Jews, will be saved because God's Character is on the line and the cool thing about this is God's people the Jews 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. He opened that up not just to Jews, but to everyone He gave his life on the cross so that any and everyone it doesn't matter who you're related to What your history is what your belief system is that you can come to know God through Jesus Christ, and Christians have just had a hard time struggling with this concept. What do I need to do in order to earn my salvation? What do I need to do in order to earn it? How do I get to heaven? i got to be good, right? And That isn't Christianity. Because good has nothing to do with it. So you, again, so you, okay, then I have to be good after I get it, right? i got to get my Sunday school pen, and i, I got to talk differently, and this one, once I become a Christian, I need to stay good to keep it, right? No. Christians struggle with this and people today struggle with this and we just can't figure it out because the story of Esther has us say that there's no morally pure, right people, yet God still saves the day. So some of you, you're like, okay Chris, I can have eternity I can get saved and I can just do whatever I want I mean, if you decide to become a Christian why don't you just keep going on sinning I mean, why don't you just keep making terrible choices? Why don't we just keep on having fun on Friday night? Why why don't we just do whatever we want to do? Because, you know, let's just send it up. Do you know that same thing that we're struggling with today is the very same thing that the church in Rome was struggling with when Paul wrote to them in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Their question was, you know what? If we're going to be Christians and our eternity is secure, then let's just live it up, baby. Look at what he says in 6.1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? I mean, where's the incentive? I mean, why would you, why would you ever change? If you, could, if you couldn't earn your salvation and really what you did every Friday night, Saturday night, last night, whatever you did, whenever, if that's not going to impact your salvation, then why would you ever change? Why not just keep on doing whatever you want to so that you can get more grace, right? Look what it says in verse 2. Of course not. Of course you shouldn't keep on sinning. Since we have what? Died to sin. You remember we talked about this last week when we looked at Haman? That when we talked about that selfish people are going to die alone, that what are you dying to? What are you saying no to about your rights? the process of God's work in your life, once you receive the gift of salvation, your responsibility is that you are to die to self. That's my responsibility, to die to that selfish thing. And and like before Christians, who were like, me, 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 I, 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 myself, myself, all of that. And once we become a Christian, we say no to that because all that me, me, I, I, myself, it's destroying your relationships. It's destroying your work. It's destroying your family. It's destroying your reputation. And ultimately, it's going to destroy you. Paul says, die to it. Not because it saves you in the eternal sense. Not because it's going to make a difference in your eternity. That's future sense. No, no, no. I want you to die to it because it's going to make a difference right now. In your present tense. It's going to make a difference on how you live today. Because that's not the way God intended you to live. It has nothing to do with eternity has nothing to do with salvation, but he has a better way for you today. He has a better life for you today, not just in the future, but today. He's got a better plan. Verse 3, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in, what's that next word? Baptism, we we were joined with him in his death. We just saw a baptism and that is a symbol. It's a sign. And for those, you've been baptized, you go under to the water, right? It's a symbol of death. Why is it a symbol of death? Because if we put you under the water and we keep you under the water, what's going to happen? You're going to die, right? But guess what we do? We bring you up out of the water so that you can live. Exactly right, right? That is a symbol, it's so interesting. And for those of you, I love seeing people getting baptized here at One Church. We've seen hundreds of people do that. You've seen their watch their stories. And for some of you, you need to do that. Some of you, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've never, ever been baptized. And that's a symbol of you going public to everybody. See, just as this wedding ring on my finger, is a reminder of a promise that I made to my wife. Your baptism is a reminder of God's promise that he has made to you. that You've accepted him and that he will always accept you. Verse 4, we have died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. Look at this. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of faith of the Father, now we also, we live new lives. In other words, you can continue to make bad decisions but that's going to ruin your story. It's not going to ruin God's story. Some of you, I mean, you're like this that changed and changed the decisions you make. It's, it's like if you want to live a life that's characterized by Jesus then you're going to have to change the decisions that you're making. It's not going to save you or unsave you, your decisions now and you partying now. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with your eternity. That, that's something that Jesus took care of 2,000 years ago. But you know what? You see, you can put your faith in Jesus and live whatever way you want to on this life. You can. It won't affect your eternity, future tense. But it will make your life right now a living hell. And I don't even need to convince you guys of that, do I? Because some of you, you've lived life doing it your way. And you may have began a relationship with Jesus when you were younger. But you have imploded your life. Do you know your bad decisions, it's not going to change your eternity. But they're going to change your present. They will. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to your sinful desires. Paul's saying don't do it. Don't give in, because sin will control you. These cravings, these appetites, are never satisfied. They will—you will always want more. You want another promotion. You want more money. You want more power, more recognition. Some of you, you need—you want another guy because the last guy you had, well, just wasn't good enough. And you're not—you're not, not going to be okay unless you have a man. And—and and, you know. You need another woman in your life because she was, I thought she was Mr. Right, she was Mrs. So-So, right? So you're going through women left and right or you're going through men left and right and you can't seem to figure out why none of those relationships truly satisfy. And I'm going to tell you why they don't. It's because what you're really looking for can't be found in another person. It can't be found. What you're craving can't be found in a position. No fame, no power, no popularity, no success, no person, no spouse, no lover, nothing can truly deliver what you are needing and what you're needing is new life through Jesus Christ. You see, when you make Jesus Christ your savior, that affects your eternity, future, But when you make him Lord, that means he calls the shots, he's in control, he's sovereign. That affects your now. That affects how you live now. And whether or not your life is a living hell, or whether or not God can even bless you. I love that. I love that. When you make Jesus the center of your life, not just Savior, but Lord, it will affect your now. Last two verses. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin, verse 13. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right to the glory of God. You, do you think that if you live your life like Jesus wants you to love it, do you think it'll be better if you do the things that Jesus tells you to do? I mean, what if your life was characterized by generosity and not greed? Do you think your life would be any better? Do you think that your marriage would be any different if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone loved you with unconditional love, no strings attached, that your heavenly Father would love you no matter what? Do you think that would change the way you talk to your children? Do you think it would change the way you viewed that person in your workplace who's kind of out to get you? Do you think it would be an easier time forgiving them knowing that God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, will always forgive you? Not because you deserve it or earned it, but because of Jesus. Sin is no longer your master, verse 14, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of... Of God's grace. God's undeserved love. It's so liberating. It's freedom. Freedom. And you know what? It's freedom to make bad decisions. You have that freedom. God gives you that freedom. But know that your bad decisions, they're going to change your story. They're not going to change God's story. And it's almost as though through the entire story of Esther, God is behind the scenes saying, Esther, if you would have gotten on board earlier, man, imagine what could have happened. Haman, Haman, you you should have gotten on board with me because you didn't heads roll, literally yours, right? Haman, you should have gotten on board with God's plan. God is saying to Mordecai, Mordecai, why are you not seeking after me? Why are you not talking to me? Why do you seem to be embarrassed by me? Because I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but you need to know this. Your bad decisions, they're not affecting me. God, they're affecting you. You see that God, our Heavenly Father, he's this unstoppable force. God has a plan. He's moving throughout history. There's a movement. And God is saying all of human history is pointing to an end. And here's the end. That every, everyone under heaven and in heaven will bow their knee and they will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you can either do that now and get the benefits of it, or you can do it later and not get the benefits of it. But your bad decision isn't going to change me. It's going to change you. For some of you, today as we close, getting on board means that you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time as your Savior. For others of you, I mean, you're Christians, and that means you need to, you know where your eternity's at. It's secure. But you've got so much bad decisions you're making right now, it is impacting your present. Not your future, your present. And you need to surrender those to God as well. Because some of you today you feel alone and you feel cut off. You've got more friends on Facebook, you've got more followers on Instagram and in Twitter than ever before, and yet you feel more lonely. Uh, Some of you, you're in a marriage relationship, you're in a family relationship, and you're more lonely now than you ever have been. And people on the outside looking in, going, dude, you've got it made. I see your family, I see your kids, your honor students. Your wife is gorgeous? I mean, I mean you're doing all right. You've got it made. And and you're like, yeah. I thought I did, but I, I just don't feel satisfied. I don't feel content. And I believe that's that love of your heavenly father you're missing from the center of your life because no family, no spouse, no pr- pr- position, no promotion, nothing can take away that longing that you're experiencing in your life, and it's a longing for God, your Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ. What God desires with you is not religion, but a personal relationship. Today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to enter into that relationship, to become a Christ follower, a Christian. For some of you, that's what you've longed for your entire life, but you just didn't know it. For others of you, Christ, you've been Christians. Your bad decisions have jacked up your life. God still has a plan for your life. You just take, you missed a couple of exits. God's going, hey, we can do U-turns. We can do some repentance. You can go back. And you can do that today. So why not just surrender? So many people try to fight God. People who fight God, guess what? never win i mean think about this I mean, it, it, we see this in the story of esther in esther guess who won god won right we see this in moses moses tells god hey i don't want to do this right and god's like uh, i made your mouth i made you you got it moses didn't win who won god won and then moses it goes up against pharaoh and 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 like pharaoh's like i'm god i don't know what god you're talking about right and i got this i'm in control pharaoh says right guess who won out of that one god did god won right or what about when you when jesus was born we celebrate this christmas that he he becomes all these people are looking for the king where's the king of the jews and and king herod is there and he's like what are you talking about i'm the king So he makes a decision, I'm going to kill all these babies trying to get rid of baby Jesus. His bad decision, Herod, didn't affect Jesus. Guess who won? God did. Who lost? Herod, zero. God won. Bam, there it is. And let me tell you, with you and with me, some of you, you can bench 300 and you look good. You got the six pack, right? And you're like, I can do this. Keep on. Because let me tell you who's going to win. God will win, because your bad decision is not going to impact. You think about this Hitler. let me go to Hitler. 1939, Hitler is going to try to kill sick I mean all of God's people, all of the Jewish race. and he kills six million Jews. You know You want to know who defeated Hitler? It wasn't United States. It wasn't the allies. Let me tell you this. This is a good history lesson. Do you want to know who defeated Hitler? You see, back, Hitler had this great idea. You know what? I think I'm going to go against Russia. So I'm going to march against Stalingrad, and I am going to go and I'm going to defeat Russia. And he decided to do it in the winter. And the reason why none of us in here are speaking German, I'm not speaking German right now, the reason why Hitler didn't conquer the world is because a snowstorm hit. By the way, United States don't control the snowstorms, do they? Who controls the snowstorms? Mm-hmm. Guess what? God won. See, God don't play. God did this to Hitler. (laughs) He used some allies to do it. But you see, God is in control. Some of you are like, okay, but but there's a Hitler. Well, guess what? You you and I can make some bad, jacked-up decisions that affect other people. But God's in control. He's in control. Some of you need to hear that today. He is in control. And you can buck him. You ain't going to win. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you do not know Jesus. If you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For you to be able to do that. Because I want to be on the winning side. And so do you. So God right now. I thank you. I thank you for your character and your heart. I thank you that you are so present. In this story of Esther. Even though it, you seemed absent. And it's so confusing God. That even though it's hard to find you. And nobody actually calls on you God. Lord that you were there the entire time. And you won in the end. And Lord, you will win in the entire end of history because history is moving to a place where you want to extend your grace and your love to everyone. But some of us have resisted God. In fact, some of us, we've walked into this place this morning still resisting you, resisting grace, resisting forgiveness, resisting relationships, resisting you. Lord, there's something inside of us that is longing for you, but we just resist you. We resist. And today, this is our day of surrender. That we wave the white flag. Lord, I pray that today, right now, that people all over this auditorium would surrender their life to you. They would just pray silently, God, Lord Jesus, today I resist you, Lord. I surrender my life. I surrender my heart. I surrender my sin to you. I realize that you died on the cross for me and you did what I could never do myself. Today I begin a new relationship with God. Not a small g God who can't be known, but a capital G God. My Heavenly Father who's in control, who's large and in charge and you created me and saved me, and today I surrender my life for you. Just keep your eyes bowed and your head closed. Lord, I just, if you prayed that prayer. Your next step is to go public. Your next step is to be baptized. You saw a picture, of somebody getting baptized, that symbol today. You can do that next week. You just need to talk to one of us. Christian, some of you are in here and you know that you are saved, but your bad decisions are impacting you and everyone around you. And I pray that you would give it up. Well, that's what we pray for. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.